Good morning. Um, I want to begin with a story about an elderly woman. She was preparing to park her new expensive car in a parking lot when this young college student cut her off and stole her parking spot. And she was just dumbfounded. The young man jumped out of his car and looked at her and said, Oh, to be young and fast. And went inside. Well, that unwise young man hurried back out and to his dismay, he saw that old woman using her big new expensive car as a battering ram, just smashing his car. And she rolled down her window and said, Oh, to be old and rich. We like stories, don't we, where people get angry, where people act on anger. We like movies where the, that main character, they just get so enthralled that they act on it and they bring about justice. We like that. We like it in a movie. We like it in life. We often find ourselves rooting for angry people. Hockey fans love hockey, but they especially love it when there's a fight. Isn't it true? We want to see our hero get angry and do the right thing. Anger is not always wrong, especially when it's in response to something that is wrong. But anger, even when it is right, can quickly go very wrong. And anger can become bondage. We're in a series of messages called Christ Has Set Me Free. And we're looking at a number of different topics about how something can create a type of bondage for us that we never move past. And we're trying to understand that when Jesus came, He came to save us from our sins so that we could escape the penalty of sin. But what we need to understand, and that's what we're trying to, to get in this study, go deeper with these topics, is that we can find freedom from the power of sin and be released from these things. We're not just clothed with Christ and His righteousness. We remove these grave clothes so that we can be free in Christ. Now, anger is a problem for many. And maybe for you, it's your problem. And then again, maybe it's not your problem. Or maybe you don't think it's your problem, but everyone else would say, yeah, Randy, that's your problem. But we all deal with anger. Because we live in a fallen world. And there's constant opportunities to get frustrated and even to become angry. Now, we all deal with fleeting moments of anger that are part of our life, so I'm not asking, do you ever get angry? We, all of us get angry. We need to acknowledge that as we begin. But let me ask this about anger. Is anger a frequent companion? When you get angry, do you hang on to it and just allow it to move in? Or as one author said, do you visit the state of mad often? In other words, are you in bondage to anger even as you tell yourself you're not? We all hear things and repeat things. And what you tell yourself is important. What you believe as you even say these things is important because sometimes we say things without thinking. And if they're not true and we believe it, we accept it as fact. If you repeat it often enough, after a while, we begin to accept it. See, there's a very common myth that people say to themselves all the time. I want to open with this. The first one is this. We, we lie to ourselves and say, I cannot control my temper. And we use that as an excuse. Now, this is a common myth held by spewers. Do you know what I mean by that? Spewers. There are two, generally two groups of people when it comes to anger. The first is spewers. They erupt. 
they blow up. They let it all out. And some of you are spewers, aren't you? And you know that about yourself. When you get mad, you spew it. The others are not spewers. You are stewers. You take it in. You absorb it. You let it fester. You don't explode. You hold it. And you let it boil for hours or days or weeks or years or more. Now most of you know who you are. Malicious in the spirit of confession. We're in church. Can we confess? What you think about, which one are you? Are you a spewer that you just explode and let it out? Or are you the stewer where you hold it in? So raise your hand if you are a spewer. Some of you? Okay. How many of you are stewers? Raise your hand. Now, if you didn't raise your hand, raise both of them because you're a liar. Yeah. I want us to be real about this. Here's what spewers will say. They don't call it spewing because that sounds unpleasant. That sounds messy. So they will call their explosions, I was just venting. You ever heard that? You ever said that? And people who excuse their eruptions as healthy venting, just think about this, it might make you feel better. It probably does make you feel better. But do you realize the collateral damage that you're doing? You ever held a baby who's sick to their stomach and then all of a sudden they just, let me use the word erupt. And immediately the baby feels better, but you've got a mess all over yourself. And you've got to clean that up. But that baby feels better from that very moment. And we'll say, you know, I'm just being real. I'm just being authentic. You can't call me a hypocrite. And that's how we excuse our behavior. But that's the word you use. That's how you describe it. Listen to what the Bible uses. Proverbs 29, verse 11. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. Over and over again in Scripture, you see the correlation there. The Bible associates anger with acting like a fool. Because the reality is anger is a choice that we control when we want to. Right? I do this. You do this. Before your boss. Thank you. Control your anger before your boss? When the policeman pulls you over? When the phone rings? You can be in the middle of something very heated. Phone rings? Turn it off just like that. Get angry with one of your kids on the way to church? There's, a, let's just say, an eruption going on in the car? You get in the parking lot, shut the door, boom. Turn it off. We can control our anger. We can hold it in when we want to. We can hold it in when we need to. We can control our anger. You're not in bondage because you cannot help it. You're in bondage because you won't help it. Here's another lie. We say things like, my anger is not my fault. Now, if you raise your hand that you are a steward, this may be a temptation for you. Because as stewards, we will see ourselves as the victim. Somebody did something that made me angry. It wasn't my fault. And because you're the victim, you have permission to stew. To hang on to it. To hold on to the anger. 
And people who justify bad attitudes will always find a reason to have it. But remember we said this several weeks ago. We need to repeat it several times in our study. Blaming never leads to freedom. So if you find yourself playing the victim card, even in your anger, it may be a key, maybe a hint that you're struggling with this. Listen to this. Free people do not let other people control how they think. Let me say that again. Free people do not let other people control how they think or act. Now, I didn't say influence. Obviously, people influence how you think, but they don't control you. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7.9 from the English Standard Version, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. See, if your anger was not your responsibility, why would Scripture admonish us to be slow to become angry? In James 1.19, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. So stop blaming and own the responsibility for how you react to situations. The wrong may not be your fault, but your anger is. You are in control of your anger. Or maybe the third one, maybe you've accepted the lie that you cannot help it because you were born this way. Say, I was born this way. You think I have a temper? You should have met my dad. You should have met my grandpa. Just runs in the family. Well, here's the truth. Anger is a learned behavior because somewhere in your past, you learned either by spewing or by stewing that you could control the situation. If you've learned to hang on to that and to use that to accomplish what you want, so, not so much about genetics, it's about your agenda. But even if you were born that way, think about this. As a child of God, you've been born again. So you can't use your genetics as an excuse anymore because you've been made a new creation. And that means now we have the capacity to display peace and patience and gentleness and self-control through God's Spirit that lives within us. So when you read Scripture, the position we find in the Bible is that anger is not an option. So I no longer tell myself, I just can't help it. There's no other choice. That new person in Christ can no longer justify rage or anger as the only possible response. Do you remember the movie Toy Story? We all remember the, the movie Toy Story. One of my favorite lines there is, Mrs. Potato Head is the... Okay, this screen's not working, so I'm glad this one is. You, you remember this line? Mrs. Potato Head said to her man, Are you in a good mood? Mr. Bredata Head said, not sure. She says, okay, I'll pack your angry eyes just in case. Sometimes we pack our angry eyes just in case, don't we? Sometimes we keep them in hand so that we can quickly slap them on if we need them. Because we think we're going to need them. We live in bondage as long as those angry eyes are kept handy. Listen to Colossians 3.8. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Notice how that verse starts. Now. 
I looked that passage up. This is the New International Version. I looked it up in the, the English Standard Version, the New Revised Standard Version, the New American Standard, and I stopped after that because every one of them said, Now. Now is the time. Now is the time. And freedom, if you haven't found this in our study already, if you don't know this already, freedom is found in truth. I was praying before this message, God, let me teach your truth. Because the truth will set you free. John 8.32, that's what Jesus said. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So what are some truths about anger? The first one is this. Anger is a window to the heart. Anger is a window to the heart. Remember, anger is not wrong. Anger reveals what matters to you. Anger reveals what what you value, where your passions are. And we know anger is not wrong because... The Gospel accounts tell us that Jesus got angry. Remember? What did Jesus get angry about? Well, basically you can boil it down to two different categories. Jesus got angry whenever God was dishonored or when people were dismissed. Remember the time when people were abusing the temple? Making a mockery of what was supposed to be God's house? And the Gospel accounts tell us that He overturned the tables, He overturned the seats, He made a whip. Now, in that passage, go back and look. You're not going to find the word anger or wrath or even upset. But the context is there. You flip tables and chairs and a whip without some strong emotion. But in Mark 3, the word anger is there. There was a sick man at the synagogue. And the religious leaders there were curious, wanted to see if Jesus would heal on the Sabbath. They weren't concerned about the sick man. They weren't concerned about his well-being. They were trying to trap Jesus. And Mark says Jesus became angry at that. That here's this man who needs help. And they're using him as a test. Jesus got angry. The Bible says it was without sin because Jesus lived by two rules. Love God, love people. Anger reveals what we care about, what we value. And too often it tells us that our passions are misplaced. Here's how the Bible describes our anger. James 4.1 What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? When I was thinking about this with Jesus, what made him angry, and I thought, you know, what makes me angry is usually not when God is dishonored or people are dismissed. I'm usually angry when somebody does something to me. Somebody cuts me off. Somebody doesn't do what they said they were going to do. They left me the wrong call and my team suffered. There's an issue at home or work or some situation and I didn't get my way and I become angry. One author said anger is a smoke detector warning that something is wrong below the surface. I think about over and over again in Scripture, we see this happening. Back at the beginning in Genesis, Cain was angry at his brother Abel and killed him. But why? Because underneath the surface was a man with wounded pride because God did not accept his offering. King Saul was angry at David and tried to kill him. But it was just a cover for his own insecurities. For his own jealousy that was brewing beneath the surface because David was getting popular. The people liked David and David was successful. 
The older brother was furious at his younger brother and even at his father for throwing the party, remember? But underneath, it was just a cover for that ugliness. He was a young man who did not like grace. A young man who did not believe in second chances. If you don't know this about Jesus, please hear this. Jesus is not about surface behavior modification. He could care less what you look like. What He wants to know is who are you on the inside? Who are you down deep? Remember His Sermon on the Mount? Was that not the whole message of upside down living? Of righteousness inside out? Not just make sure you look good on the outside, but who are you at your core? In your soul? Down deep? For example, Matthew 5, 21 and 22. For you've heard that it was said to people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. So Jesus raises the bar. Not just, you never killed someone, did you? But even anger. It's not about surface behavior conformity. Jesus talks about, addresses, the ugly stuff in our hearts. And a heart full of anger cannot be full of love. Remember the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5? Love is not easily angered. And when we ignore that truth, we invite more lies. And the father of lies, the devil, is so happy to give them. He has an endless supply. Because number two, anger is a door for the devil. I want to make sure we get this. This is why anger is so dangerous. We hold on to anger. And really what we're doing by holding on to anger is you're holding the door open for Satan. And as long as you hold on to anger, you're holding the door open. And he's going to exploit that anger in any number of ways. And maybe you see what he's doing to you, but you don't realize that you're the one at fault, the problem, because you're holding on to anger and you're letting it have a direct shot. Paul quotes Psalm 4.4 in Ephesians 4.26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. So you can be angry and not sin. Then he goes on, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Now let me just say with that verse, that doesn't mean that everything is going to be made right before sunset. And that's not the point of this passage. But process your anger. Put it on the shelf. Don't go to bed hanging on to that because you're opening the door where he says here, give the devil a foothold. And here's where it gets tricky. We can't cover all the details of anger in one 30-minute sermon. I mean, there's so many avenues to this, so many different tangents to chase. But some of you are in bondage. But not to anger. But it may be because of anger. There's so many layers to this. The anger is the door that's letting Satan in. And he exploits that. Notice that Satan is not credited as making you angry. He gets the credit for jumping in and exploiting your anger. You cannot stay irritated without winding up in bondage. 
Proverbs 25, 28 says, Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Think about it. We are told as Christians to be a light, to be salt, to be aware of our influence, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And there is no way that an angry soul can be a credible witness to the Prince of Peace. When you hang on to anger, it doesn't do any good to wear the t-shirts. It doesn't do any good to have your Bible on your desk at work. You can put a fat check in the plate on Sunday, but your witness, your testimony, your influence as an angry person makes everybody doubt what you're saying. When Leonardo da Vinci was painting The Last Supper, the story is told that he became angry and even lashed out at a man, threatened him. It was not good. And he went back to continue painting. And he was at the point of, face, of painting the face of Jesus. But he couldn't get past that situation. And he left the painting there. Went and forgave the man. Only then was he able to come back and continue his masterpiece. I want to make sure you hear this. I'm not telling you not to be angry. Okay, so if you're hearing that, you're hearing it wrong. You will be angry. Okay, we know that. That is life. That's not the point. We live in a world full of wrongs. And there are times where we need to be angry about those wrongs. But we can remain free if we control our anger instead of letting it control us. So let me close with this. How do I be slow to become angry? Number one, be quick to let the Holy Spirit search your heart. Be quick to let the Holy Spirit search your heart. Ask the Spirit of truth to help you discern. When you feel that rage, that anger, you're upset, let your knee-jerk response be just that. Get on your knees. And even if you can't, if you're in a situation where you can't get on your knees, you can't close your eyes because maybe you're in the middle of a conversation, you can still pray for God to help you to process through those emotions and instead of spewing all over that person, you take that moment and you talk to God. Lord, examine my heart in this matter. Should I be angry? Should I be upset? Why am I angry? Are my motives pure? Show me if my anger is exposing a part of my life that's yet to be crucified. We call the Apostle John the Apostle of Love for a number of reasons. For one, he, he wrote so much about it. But what we need to remember is he wasn't always called the Apostle of Love. Remember that? You know what he was called early on in his life? A son of thunder. And do you remember why? This is the same James and John that when they were not received. He wanted to call down fire and wipe them out. No second chances. No grace. Immediate. That's John. But Jesus changed him. And that angry John, that son of thunder John, that call down fire from heaven John, became the apostle of love. You hold anger in check by letting God check your heart. And it's not going to take a captive. 
God is more concerned about your character than your comfort. And He may use that experience to change you more and more into the image of His Son. So first, be quick to let the Holy Spirit search your heart. And then two, be quick to lead with prayer and forgiveness. If you hold on to anger, eventually it will hold on to you. So you decide in advance how you're going to act instead of waiting and reacting to the situation. And you pray for people who make you angry. And you choose not to hold it against them. You pray for them and bless them. Not curse them, just like Jesus said. But I know even as we do this, even as we try to think this way, we think, but I've got a good reason to be angry. And they don't deserve my forgiveness. But even as you think that, and even as you say that, be careful. Be so careful before you go down that road and even finish that sentence in your mind because we need to be grateful, very glad that God who has every reason to not forgive us has. He goes first. Do we deserve His grace? Do we deserve His forgiveness? Instead, Jesus suffered the penalty for our out-of-control anger and all of our sins on the cross. That's where we need to go in our minds when we become angry. Ephesians 4, verses 31 and 32. Look at this verse. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So you pray to God, and then in your minds, and maybe even with your lips, you say, You do not own me. I refuse to build a case and hang on to this. I'm not saying what you did was right. I'm saying life's too short. I'm saying my own need for grace is too great. You are forgiven. When you let that person go, you're opening the door to your own freedom. John Feinstein recounts an incident about Rudy Tomjanovich in his book, The Punch, One Night, Two Lives, and the Fight That Changed Basketball Forever. If you're a basketball buff, you may know Rudy. He coached the Houston Rockets basketball team to two championships. He played pro for them, was an all-star forward during his career. But he may be best known for this infamous occurrence at the height of his playing career back in the 70s. That picture on the right, that's the best one I could find. It's not very clear. But here's what happened. In the middle of a close game, a a fight erupted at midcourt. Rudy rushed over there, running at full speed to help break it up. But just as he got there, a a player whipped around and without even looking, just socked him right in the face. It was called the punch heard round the world. It fractured Rudy's skull, broke his nose, his cheekbones, nearly killed him. He was in recovery for an extensive amount of time, but he eventually recovered. 
His professional ball-playing career didn't last so long, though. One day after Rudy had recuperated, a reporter asked him, Rudy, have you ever given that player, forgiven that player what he did to you? And without hesitation, Rudy said, absolutely, totally forgiven him. The reporter, reporter shook his head and said, come on, Rudy, that guy nearly cured, killed you. He caused you all that pain. He stole part of your career. You don't have any anger, any, any hatred or bitterness toward him. Rudy said, not at all. The reporter stared in disbelief and finally said, Rudy, how'd you do it? Tell me. How could you possibly forgive the man who hurt you so badly? And here's what Rudy said. I knew if I wanted to move on with my life, I had to let it go. I didn't do it for him. I did it so I could be free. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've received salvation, you have been set free from your sins. And you're no longer in bondage. You have God's Spirit living in you and you now have the capacity to do everything He commands you to do. Including not being controlled by anger. So in the morning, when you get up, if you're still hanging on to anger, follow the advice of Jesus. Pray for your enemies. And it may be you need to have a list. Write their names down. And don't just pray that they'll get what's coming to them. That's not the kind of prayer we're talking about. Pray for God to bless them. Pray for God's favor to be upon them, that good things will happen. Pray for God to give them grace and joy. And if you can pray that way, it won't be long before you're going to wake up mad at nobody. And you'll be free. It begins with this very verse, receiving salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to sing a song to encourage you to do just that. If you've never been washed clean as we've been talking about, with our communion we talked about it, let that blood wash you clean. All your sins away. The water is always ready for your baptism. If you're ready to confess that Jesus is Lord, that He came to save you from your sins, and He came back from the grave, we want to hear it. We want to help you. Or maybe it's about anger. Maybe we need to help you with that. However, we can be your family. Won't you come as we stand and sing?